Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, August the 6th, and we study and pray the inspired true word of God and put on our Christ goggles with Psalm 8. This has been really fun to take a step back so we can pray the scriptures, not only that we pray to the Lord, but that we pray the scriptures because when we're in the scriptures, we know the Holy Spirit is at work. And today is a well-known psalm. You might not know the whole thing, but at least you know the first and last verse. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We could just focus on that line alone for the next hour, but there's more to hear, not only of his majesty, but as we look out in the world, we see a glimpse of that majesty as well. So let's look and let's see and let's pray. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy strong word is graciously underwritten in part by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. For more information of their great work, visit lhfmissions.org, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word, we have, we have the joy of having with us Reverend Dr. Nathan Metter of St. John Lutheran Church in Plymouth, Wisconsin. Pastor Metter, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. It's good to be back. Sorry, I had to, it's been a while, it's been a couple of times because of some of the things going on around here, but uh, it's always good to, to be with you and, and to uh, pray through God's word uh, as with uh, those who are with you and with those who are listening to us. So, Pastor, tell us what's happening. Like you said, it's been a while. I looked it up. First Kings chapter two was the last time we had we had you with us. And so, tell yeah. us what's happening for you, your family, and the work of the saints at St. John. Well, I'm just kind of slacking off and just doing, you know, <laughs> laying around eating bonbons and ice cream. No, just kidding. Um, no, just recently, uh, I have been in the process. I was issued a call to serve as. Uh, executive assistant to the president of the South Wisconsin District in the areas of mission and mercy. Um, and after uh, a timely deliberation, I have uh, accepted said call. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually, as we're as we're speaking right now, we're in the process of uh, transitioning uh, from my uh, par- 25 years of parish ministry into uh, into the synodocracy. Synod- uh, I'll be mm-hmm. one of the. Uh, I, I was one of the one of the brother pastors sent me a message. He said, "If you must be, if we must have synodocrats, at least we should at least in this mark we have at least one faithful one." So, uh, <laughs> uh, so it's it's I've I've had the uh, synodocat picture sent to me much many times, um, but it's a it's a neat opportunity uh, to to be able to work with the 205 congregations of the South Wisconsin District, uh, looking for ways to uh, strengthen, enhance and further uh, the work of mission and, and mercy. Uh, and, and what's interesting is somebody may say, well, what, aren't you a stewardship guy? And I say, well, yeah, I am. And, and well, why, why would you call a stewardship guy to do mission and mercy? Well, actually, mm-hmm. uh, they are, they're, they're synonymous. Um, much of what we have classically uh, assigned to the realm of stewardship, you know, finances, you know, our time talent, the treasure, those kind of things. Um, we have we've put them in the silo called uh, stewardship, but actually, really, what they are, uh, they are means by which we steward the one thing entrusted to us, and that's the gospel. Well, when you're dealing with the gospel, that you're you're now in the realm of mission and mercy. Uh, so it, it actually kind of makes sense that you call a stewardship guy 
uh, for Mission and Mercy. So we'll have opportunities to uh, expand current missions, uh, plant new churches, um, work with disaster response and, uh, and, and congregational revitalization, as well as doing stewardship as, as well. So it's kind of a it's kind of a transitioning time, kind of a little little scary, you know, because mm. for 25 years I've been the pastor, and now uh, I, I'm shifting from role. That's best I think the best analogy I can come up with. I, I'm I'm shifting from from being the prophet into being the one who holds the position of holding up the prophet's hand. Yeah. And as we understand, as we understand that uh, that that story from the scriptures, um, both roles are exceedingly important. Um, and, and so that's what we that's what I'm looking forward to doing in the in the in the days and years to come. So, Pastor, there's one concern I do have with this kind of work is that you have a tradition of going bowling, I believe, every Thursday. What's that going to do to your schedule of bowling? Uh, we're going to have to commit that to prayer and, and, <laughs> and, and contemplation. Uh, but, you know, I, maybe I can always, you know, what we'll do is we'll talk mission and mercy while we bowl in Sheboygan, and I'll, be, I'll just have it my standing committee on mission and mercy in Sheboygan County. That's what we might be able to do. I like I like the plan. So, Pastor, and that's a reminder to our listeners, pray for Pastor Metter in the South Wisconsin District, their district president, John Willie, as he endeavors this new uh, uh, vocation, a calling, and also for the 205 congregations, many schools and uh, Concordia University. I mean, the list goes on and on. The task is great, but you know what? It's in our Lord's hands, not our own. So I encourage our listeners to pray for him. And you know, Pastor, this morning, since you are transitioning, um, it would be my honor to be able to pray for our time, but also for you and your family as you transition. Can we do that? That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Well, let's begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God, we lift up to you um, your word, as your word is truth, and it's a light unto our path. We thank you for this opportunity, and we pray for your Holy Spirit to guide us. And as your Holy Spirit does guide us, you guide us to new callings and new places. And for Pastor Metter, I pray that as he transitions to the South Wisconsin District, that you would grant him strength and wisdom and also peace in these transitions, that his word may be fruitful, um, your word may be fruitful in his work, that for his family as they transition where they, where they are, that you would fill them with uh, peace as whenever we transition, there is grief. And we pray that as you are the Lord of all comfort, that you would be their comforter. And for our time today, we ask for you to guide us and direct us and that we may see Christ. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, Pastor, I want to continue to pray um, because as we look at this psalm, uh, we're praying. And I wanted to ask you this question. The psalms are something that are very prominent throughout the history of the church. We're talking from Old Testament, tabernacle, to, to temple, to uh, early church, to today. It's very important. But sometimes I would say we tend to overlook it, especially in today's world. Why are the Psalms important to the church and to the individual Christian? Okay. Well, uh, let's see. We're going to spend the rest—we could spend the rest of the hour on that question <laughs> alone. Um, because, you know, this is one of those things. I was—when when we went to school, we would study, we would study the great poets. You know, um, I could never write an iambic pentameter, but I've but I've studied, you know, in sonnets. So so we study Shakespeare. Um, so you, you and 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 you're marveling at, at the people who can who who can take these who who limit themselves in a, in a very real way 
stylistically and yet write such amazing literature. So, so just on the on on the uh, on the on the content of it, these are amazing. Uh, these are amazing works of art. Um, they're, they're works of art as they as they're constructed. And, and this is one of the things we we do have a little bit of a limitation because um, we we have a little bit of a limitation because we're reading. Many of us are reading this in the in the English, and, and it's it's in the Hebrew that you get to see even more of the negative. Like like that that, that massive Psalm Psalm one nineteen, where you sit there and 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 you realize that you know you it, this is each one of those little each one of those sections. Um, you know, they, that's how you learn the Hebrew alphabet, you know, because each mm-hmm. one of those sections is, is labeled with a uh, with the, the, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And then you realize that each one of the first lines starts with that. And you only know that is if, if you study the Hebrew, you know, so, so you so you start looking at the magnificence of it and then you dig a little deeper and you realize then then you study the historical nature of it. Um, they do carry history, but this was Jesus songbook. You know, these are mm-hmm. these. This when 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 uh, a good little uh, a good little uh, son of a carpenter would go to uh, would would go to synagogue, or would go to or would go to to, to Jerusalem to the temple. These would they would he would sing the songs of ascent. He would sing. You know, maybe <laughs> when he got mad, he would he would probably sing the imprecatory psalms. You know, and th- those kind of things. Um. So so these would be Jesus songbook, hymn book. You know. Uh, yeah, you know, so we sit here and, and debate whether it's a Lutheran service book or Lutheran worship, and Jesus only has one, and that's mm. the Psalter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, even better, while they are, while these psalms are Jesus' songbook, the songbook of the ancient church, they are also the songs of Jesus. We, you know, when you pick up these psalms, Christ, Christ oozes out of them. Um, and, and once you get past the fact that they're that they're literary masterpieces, once you get past the, the fact that they are they're hymnic uh, in nature, and and that they were handled by the Savior, now when you take that extra step back and you see them fully, you see them as songs about the Savior as well, and and they show us Jesus. Um, so as a result, you know we are praying when we pray the Psalms. We are praying Jesus songs about Jesus, uh, you know. So uh, it, it's it's a fascinating thing, and you know, and and I, I recently read an read an author who who challenged, and I've I've done this recently, and I've just limited my devotions to 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 ongoing cycles through the Psalms, and you never reach the bottom of them. And and you are and and the more you spend time with them, the more you meditate on them, the more you pray, the deeper you begin to understand them, the deeper you, the more you crave them, and the more you see Jesus in them. So these are not just ancient songs, you know, like you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, ragtime or whatever, um, but these are timeless songs, which speak of a timeless Savior. And I like how you made the connection of the songs. And as we talk about often as we've been studying the Old Testament is to put on our Christ goggles and to make that connection, which I obviously would have thought about but have not brought out thus far, is that, okay, these are songs 
and they tell us about Jesus, and they also were the songs of Jesus. I mean, this goes back to the Lord's Prayer. He gives us his prayer. Jesus also gives us his songs, which, like you said, we could probably talk about that for another hour, but we don't have the time for that, so it's a, it's a great insight for us as we see Christ today. Any other thoughts before we dig in? Let's just jump in, because I've, right. I've already filibustered enough. Let's get to the Word. <laughs> so what we'll do, and this is what we've been doing for each of our guests as we look at the Psalms, is that we will pray the Psalm first, all nine verses, and I will read that. And we'll, and I encourage our listeners to see this as your opportunity to pray, um, because there's powerful words in here that relate to us, um, something that, that definitely, as he said so well, points us to Christ as well. So we'll spend that time, and then we'll come back and look at Psalm 8 a few verses at a time. So we begin in prayer, Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? and the Son of Man, that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. So, Pastor, as we've prayed the whole thing, there's words that are going to stick out, but what are some themes or any background information you want to share to help us out, start off on the right foot this morning? Well, you know, this is, when you when you dig into the Psalms, and when you pray through the Psalms, that's a wonderful discipline of praying through the Psalms. And, and and what I love about it, and I think what you did such a phenomenal job of of illustrating the way you read it. You know, this you know that you weren't you weren't reading the phone book, you weren't reading the the latest recipe that you got off of Facebook. All right, what you you were reading it poetically, mm-hmm. um, and, and 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 what you highlight in this is the orality of it, the idea that that the scriptures are oral to be heard, which means to hear them, they need to be oral, A-U-R-A-L, which is spoken, which is, which is verbalized. And, and, and there is a tremendous discipline and a tremendous blessing in the discipline of reading, not just the Psalms, but all of the scriptures, but especially the Psalms, hearing them, even if it's hearing them in your own voice. It's such an incredibly Western uh, thing to read silently. Um, you know, even you know, uh, they, uh, even in the in the ancient world, they would mumble it, but they would they would verbalize it. Um, and I think it's very important that we get in that we do return to the discipline, especially in the Psalms, of verbalizing it, because you know, it, it, what is what is Paul saying in Romans ten? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. And then, as you were praying through this Psalm orally, I was orally receiving Jesus, as you start to see all of these elements, I mean, you, you, you have to look away pretty hard to miss Jesus in Psalm 8, okay? 
you almost, you know, you almost have to have your eyes closed, your fingers in your ears, and go la 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 to miss Jesus in Psalm 8. And it's all over the place. The paradoxical nature of who he is and what he does for us. And, and the other thing about it is, and, and, and the relationship of who Jesus is and what he's done for us into, and then, you know, again, this is for the stewardship guy, um, this is a, a, a stewardship psalm, too. You know, as we start to look at, at, at the created order, which the created order, which serves the order of redemption. So all of this is just loaded into this psalm. And, and, um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, it wouldn't be in the, wor- it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. It, you know, rather than trying to do, um, six, eight, ten psalms a day so we can hurry up and get through 150 of them, mm-hmm. what if you were to pray the same psalm three times a day and, and really chew it and slow down and hear it? And you hear the different things, the created order that is redeemed. That it that uh, that that we have this, and, and we see this clear re- this clear messianic reference to how God does the unexpected to accomplish the unexpected. And this is such a powerful, such a powerful thought. And I like how you said that you almost have to not. Well, two things that you said really struck me is first of all, this is a, known as a creation psalm which I thought was an interesting way to define it, but it definitely almost forces you, like when Jesus says, look at the birds of the air and look at the lilies in the field, he, he forces us to look out, and there we're able to see the glory of God, but not in the sense of cre- worshiping the creation, but to worship the creator, which is very important for us today, and I, you captured that absolutely beautifully. And, and at the same time, it, it breaks us out for songs. So I remember I worked at camp one summer in upstate New York. And when I worked there, this is one of the songs. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your, you know. And you sing it. Oh, thank and, goodness and you, I wasn't the only one who had that earworm going while you were reading it. Thank goodness. <laughs> and, of course, you know, at camp you tend to add a few more words than you need to. But still, it's beautiful how the Lord can connect all these things. Because as I'm hiking the mountains up in upstate New York, I remember singing this song. And you literally could see it. The sun, the moon, the trees, the mountains, everything. And that's just an encouragement for our listeners as well. Is it's a fine line, but it, I think it's easy when you keep it in Scripture. Is that you can look out at creation and give thanks without worshiping the creation, but worshiping our Creator. And this is a great uh, psalm for you when you're out in creation. That's one of my last thoughts. So, any thoughts you have before we dig in even further? The first three verses. Yeah, you, know, you know, and I think I think what an interesting distinction. You know, you see you see the magnificence of the Creator in creation, but it does. And what we tend to do with it, as as master idol makers, we take the beautiful things and we make them ugly with our own idolatry. Uh, so it's important that we make that we make that. That, that, that jump from what we see in creation to the praise of the one who put it in place. So, so get, out your, get, get out your guitar, go out to the camp, go out to the mountains, and let's sing because our Lord is majestic. So verses 1 through 3, we'll break down these verses as we look at the majestic name of our Lord. 1 through 3. Mm-hmm. O Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. I'm going to go to verse 4 because it connects. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Now, Pastor, I want to reflect a little bit, a lot actually, in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, which we would say is, he says, Yahweh, O Yahweh, our Yahweh, um, or Yahweh, our Lord, excuse me. How majestic is your name in all the earth? So what does it mean that he's majestic? When someone were to ask you, what does that mean, Pastor? What would you say? Uh, well, you know, you know so, so, so you think about what he's, what, he, what he's comparing it to. Again, this is a poetic comparison, all right? Mm-hmm. So when we look at the earth uh, and, and we put ourselves in comparison to it, okay, now all of a sudden I look really small. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was out in Denver with our high school youth group, uh, doing uh, doing mission uh, mission uh, mission trip out there, doing some urban uh, mercy ministry. And, and one of the nights, we went out to west of Denver to look out mountain. And you looked out, and and I remember how big I thought that Denver felt mm. until I got up on the hill and I looked down and I said, "That's it," you know. No, the other way I was looking, I was. Golden Colorado, which is where they make Coors, so I had to distract myself from that. Um, uh, but 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 then you see, all of a sudden you get up on a mountain and you see how insignificant even the biggest things in creation is. And now what happens? What does the Lord do in comparison? The name of Yahweh is even bigger. You know, and and not just the you know this is not his name's not just up in lights like it would be in a Broadway show or something like that. Uh, but but what happens is his name is made majestic. His name is made majestic as we see it in action in creation. Um, he's not just this. He he's not just this aloof God either. He is a God who is there in the midst of the creation. So we're already here in verse one. We are already. You know, he, he, he the, the glory is set uh, you know, above the heavens, so so it's a huge glory. But yet, what we see in this segment is he's already in verse one, setting the stage for the incarnation, mm-hmm. which in his you know his majesty is going to be best seen in his weakness. So, so, so we're, what we're getting here already, he's setting the stage for the paradox. You know, when we think of ma- when we think of majestic things, we think of mountains. We think of uh, we we think of uh, of the sun, the moon, the stars. You know, uh, you know, I'm 15 miles from Lake Michigan. You know, when uh, when the wind kicks up, and, and and by the way, did you know that they call Sheboygan the Malibu of the Midwest? There's a lot, all kinds of surfing there, but. Not this guy. I've, um, I've water's always too cold. Never heard that. Yeah. Okay. Now I have. Oh, yeah. And, and I don't go to the beach too often because usually when they see a guy my size laying on the beach, they push me back in saying, swim, live. You, uh, um, right. uh, but, but ultimately what we have, you know, so we see this vastness of creation. And yet when God really puts it on display is when he gets intimately involved. And so as we... As you look at these words, it, it reminds me of a moment as well when I, I have four children, and, and um, 
And I remember when we were having children, and one time we came to church, and kids were being loud, and one of our elders says, out of the mouth of babes. And I was like, okay, what? What? And I knew he was referencing this, but I'll probably retired and didn't have much to say at that time. But I found that to be one of the more fascinating parts of this psalm, not because it's profound, but it is. It, it connects almost everybody in some sense, whether you've had your own children or you've been around children. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you know, you have established strength because of your foes. So, what is he saying there? If someone we're talking about babies and how does this work? What are they saying in verse two? Well. Well, you know, again, what we're again, what we're talking about, you know, we're seeing how his, we're seeing how God works in his most powerful ways, and and there is something incredibly powerful about the simple, not simplistic, but the simple gospel proclamation of these little ones who boldly, off key several decibels louder than everybody else and saying, Jesus loves me, this I know, or the Bible tells me so. And and they can be sitting a row away from somebody with a PhD who's struggling because they can't get over the fact uh, that, 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 that the Bible actually exists, you know, the Bible actually teaches that all of this happened in six 24-hour days. You know, sometimes we're too smart for our own good. Um, and, and yet it is in the simplicity of the faith of these little ones um, that, that is in its most logical form and in its, or its clearest form when we see how God works salvation. God works salvation from create, for creation through creation. And how does he do it? He does it through the most helpless creature in all all creation. I defy you to find for me a more helpless creature mm. than a newborn baby. I, I defy you, you know, because you sit here and, you know, and uh, I do play a lot of golf and, and uh, quickly off golf course in Elkhart Lake, uh, Wisconsin, beautiful place, um, uh, almost acts like a deer sanctuary. And the other day I happened upon uh, a fawn who was maybe 48 hours old and yet you know it tried to hide and then when it realized that my golf ball was over there and I wasn't leaving because I'm not li- I'm not giving up a, a stroke to par for some cute little spotted creature you know I'm gonna get that ball um, all of a sudden then it got up and it was still un- a little unsure on its legs but it moved you know um, that doesn't happen with a human baby you know, if I'm going over there and human baby doesn't want to be around me, human baby doesn't have a choice. You know, human babies are good at three things, eating, sleeping, and pooping. You know, and and um, that, that's it. You know, they are the easiest mark in all creation. And yet, what does, what does the psalmist say? You have established strength through this. Mm. Not just through the praises of baby, but the one who comes as an infant, even Jesus Christ. The, the, the great warrior who is going to deliver God's people from the dragon is an infant who is most vulnerable. And what happens? They try and kill him. You know, the Herod event, you know, the, 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 the slaughter of the holy innocents. Um, uh, you know, and yet, and yet it is through this entry point that God's majesty is on the clearest form, or on, on clearest display. 
And this reminds me of how for you, uh, for our young parents out there, our grandparents maybe who are helping your children with your grandchildren, that whenever your child or grandchild cries, repeat the sermon to yourself. That baby's pointing me to Jesus. <laughs> it's pointing me to my creator. Oh. He's showing me the love of God in Christ. What do you think? I think oh, that's a good ab- sermon. Oh, oh, abso- absolutely. <laughs> that and, you know, and you sit there and, and you sit there and, and, um, one of the great one of the great things that happens is sometimes some of our older folks forget what it's like to be sitting with a newborn, and I think sometimes our, our young our young families are hypersensitive to it. But I tell you, in fact, we had that on display for the you know it was, we had one of those inordinately loud Sundays last night, and it was music to my ears. Absolutely, you know, and as I as I talked to as I talked to some of these exasperated parents coming out of church because the little one didn't want to sit still or the little one didn't want to be quiet and they're so apologetic I said, stop it. There are a thousand congregations in the Missouri Synod that wish they had this problem. Absolutely. Of a new generation who are adding their own unique voice to salvation. I want to touch more on that simplicity of faith on the other side of our break. We are studying and praying Psalm 8 with Pastor Nathan Metter and we'll be right back. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church, free of charge, to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. Welcome back. We are studying and praying Psalm 8, and it has never been more true in the Psalms that we have put on our Christ goggles and we can see Christ even among crying babes and infants. So just a reminder, as Pastor Metters said so well, that when we're at church, um, first of all, when you have those little babies or infants crying or being anxious, great opportunity to pray. Sometimes it's not always... um, a time where you know you can help, but you can definitely pray and encourage our young families. For our young families, reminder that that he, our Lord is always pointing us back to himself, and he does that through our children. And then there's other simple ways that he does this. And I think in verse 3, he really puts it into perspective. Simple ways of looking at the moon and the stars, and then you realize that who I am in comparison to what God has given. Like you said, you're standing on the mountain, you see Denver, you're like, well, that's not very big. But when you're standing in it, you feel like it's huge. And for us, when we look at the stars and the moon and the sun, we realize how small we really are. How does this point us to the Lord, uh, Pastor Metter? Well, and the, you think about it, you know, and, and this, Jesus himself in the Gospels, what does he say? You know, he talks about the hairs of heads that are counted, that God knows them all, he numbers them. Um, that sparrows, as grandma used to say, schmutzies, none of, not one of them, you know, you can buy two of them for a penny, and yet not one of them falls to the ground without the Lord knowing about it. Mm. So, so think about this. You are this small 
in create in, in in relation to whatever it is that God has created. And yes, and yes, you are worth His full attention. Um, he is, you know, He is mindful of you. Um, he's not just taking you for granted. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through, and He is working for your benefit in these things, shaping, forming, calling to repentance, so many other things. And yet, he, you know, God, God is doing this mindfully of you. You know, I'm, I'm currently, uh, as you know, Brady, you know so well that I am, uh, you know, that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and my body is a megachurch. Um, you know, I'm not fat, I'm fluffy. Um <laughs> Uh, and and I've just you know, recently our synod health plan, realizing that I'm way too fat, recommended something to me, and, and I'm on this this uh, new program, and and what it, it's 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 much more behavioral rather than restrictive, and it talks about being mindful when you eat, mm. you know, so you think about what you're going to put in your mouth, and when you put in your mouth, you take your time to taste it rather than swallowing it whole like I used to do with Twinkies, um, uh, you know. Uh, and and the more mindful you are, the more in control of the situation you are. And I'm down 15 pounds in about six weeks. Okay, um, think about this: God is mindful of you. He takes time for you. He tastes. He knows the taste of your tears. He knows the taste of the food that you need to survive because He's giving it to you. And, and, and he is mindful of you. Um, he is. You are not to him like that uh, exercise bag of Doritos used to be in the middle of a ball game for me. I turn on the TV, open up the family size bag, and empty it myself because mm. I am just a shameful glutton. Uh, but I, but I would eat mindlessly. I would just be stuffing chips in my mouth. You know, mm. after the fifth one, you don't even taste them anymore. All you hear is the crunch. But, but when you become mindful, all of a sudden it changes. And now God is mindful of me in the same way. He's mindful of Brady in the same way. He's mindful of you, dear listener, in the same way. And, 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 and this is God investing in you. And the ultimate investment happens in the holy, through the holy, precious blood and innocence of and death of Jesus. He is invested in you. He cares for you enough to pay the inordinate price for you. And that's where you have those moments where you do realize that about the Lord. And that's why uh, I like how you've said this throughout, that we take our time to go through a psalm like this. Well, all the psalms, but, but today we're on this one, so... On this one, because I would say I've seen that line, mindful of him, never really thinking about the intricate reality of mindful. You know, you might think of, oh, he thought of us. And then you think like we think of things. I thought about this now. Now I have to go to my next thought real quickly. But mindful is that slow reality that how we should look at God's word. But then we don't think about from the other perspective that God is mindful of you to know enough of the hairs on your head, you know, called you by name, knows you by name, um, forgives you personally in, on account of Christ. The mindfulness of God means that not only I should slow down to God's word, but more importantly, he slows down 
to remember us. That is a great perspective for us to read chew on today. We could probably end there at verse 4 and 5, but we're not going, not going to. But last thoughts you have on those verses as we mindfully continue on. Well, and, and I think, I think this, this, speaks, you know, it, this speaks to something in the way we study the Scriptures. You know, I don't know how many times I have people, oh, I, I, I just read the Bible in a year. Oh, great. But I am. I, and and, and I, mean, I mean that. This is not. But sometimes you have to be, you, you need to study it mindfully, which can't be done in a year. You know, it, 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 you're mining, M-I-N-I-N-G, as in digging. You're mining, you're, you're, you're chewing, you, you're, you're, you're rolling this word across your spiritual taste buds. Think of your, you know, your, your tongue is full of them, and, and each one of them has just a different function. And, and when you allow the foods to touch different parts of your, of your, of your taste buds, you, you get a different sensation. And as you slow down to study the scriptures, you start to get the deeper richer, more satisfying flavors. And, and, and you get all of the benefits with actually engaging fewer words. It's, it's, it's quite fascinating. So as we move on, verses 5 through 8, as we talk about, as we've talked about, you can't help but see Jesus in the rest of, the rest of these verses. But we'll just go through verse 8 because verse 9 connects us obviously to verse 1. So I challenge our listeners, our dear listeners, as you hear these words, how do you see Christ and how does it, I guess you'd say, hit you today? As David, the Holy Spirit led David to write these words, five through eight. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Now, Pastor, these verses is a sort of transition, and I, I'm kind of struggling on how to define it. How would you define these words and how it points us to something new, but yet the same? How would you talk about it? It is really a lowdown of what we were supposed to be and that Jesus then comes to accomplish. Because if you think, if you read these verses, they sound incredibly like the words of institution for the office of steward mm. that you read in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Mm. Let us make man in our image, male and female. You know, so God made man in his image, male and female, he created him. And what does God say to him? Have dominion over the earth, subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion. Subdue. Do all these things. You know, and and so so what we see in here, this is what we were intended to be. Uh, we were created for the purpose of the stewardship of this magnificent creation. That the earlier psalms talk about. It. You know, the earlier verses of the psalm talk about. It. This is a magnificent creation that was entrusted to us. It was not given to us. It was entrusted to us. And what did we do? We horsed it up. We wrecked it. We had one, all you had to do, one command, don't eat. Don't eat of that tree. Just leave it alone. Nope. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. We made a mess out of it. You know, so, so really when, I, when we look at these things, 
these words, when you see it in, in relation to us, these words are actually words of accusation. They're words of law. They cut us to the quick because, um, yes, we were, in, we were made in the image of God, a little lower than the heavenly beings, okay? We were given dominion over the works of your hands. You put it all. You put it all under our feet, and we messed it up, and we muddied the water. You know, we were. You know, to, to start to use some of the uh, Ezekiel language of, of the priests. You know, we stomped it down. We, we and we wrecked it pretty good. And yet, then what happened? Then we get. But then at the same time, as this words, as these are words of injunction against the first Adam, they are also words of uh, uh, of affirmation for the second Adam. And, and, and that you hear that play out, these words are quoted in the book of Hebrews, speaking about Jesus. So, so, so basically what you see, you know, who is man that you are mindful of him, that you think about him, he, he, this was entrusted to him, he wrecked it, and what does God do? He sends the final son of man, the ultimate son of man, Jesus, the son of God, to do what we could not do. Instead of Instead of worshiping the Creator through the creation, we worship ourselves through the through the created order. And then, at, then the new Adam, Jesus, had to come in and do what we could not do, and for our, for our own benefit. And and so all of this was entrusted to us. We horsed it up, and Jesus then has to come fix it. And the only way He can fix it is to become part of it. And that's where the doctrine of the incarnation comes in. That's where the strength in weakness that we talked about earlier in, in, in the first part of this, uh, this song. The crazy thing about that is it, it can be overwhelming, too. So to kind of put it this way, is that I, um, as a human being, has been given dominion over the sheep, the oxen, the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the seas, all of this that goes along the seas, and that makes you realize how how um, that's a high calling. <laughs> that yeah. does a lot there. Um, and yeah. and I've already looked at the moon. I've looked at the stars and realized my unworthiness. And then you add this, you realize even more of your unworthiness. And then what I hear you saying is that yes, it's all of that, but him is not not just speaking about me, but it's showing us the him as it talks about offspring not offsprings in in a book of Hebrews, like you mentioned, him right. being the one who was made lower than the heavenly beings, which is Jesus, crowned right. him above all these things and put under his feet, which I love that language because that goes to 1 Corinthians 15, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet and then just kind of shows us all creation. Is that... Is that I mean, you, you said it probably the same way, but it's, I'm thinking out loud right now. Are we on the same page? Yeah, we absolutely are. Absolutely are. This is what we should have been but could not be. And this is what he has become so that we can receive it as well. So it's, it's a restoration, which then makes this psalm, again, it's the gospel that restores us to that high office of steward. You know, uh, his name, the name put on us, not to jump ahead to verse 9 or back to verse 1, but all of this comes to us through his name. So I want to ask this. So we, are bap- we, we then get baptized into that one who did what we could not do so that we receive the credit for, for what he has done. 
uh, and then are we are restored and we bear that new image as the new Adam. And I want to touch a little bit on this because you brought up stewardship is this understanding of all that we have is the Lord's and we are called simply to use it for his glory. And that's the kind of language you're using right now. Can you unpack that a little bit for us as we are stewards and this text can easily be used as a stewardship text as well. So how would you, how would you pull that together? Absolutely. Well, you understand that all of creation, you know, one of my favorite, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite things to do is, is, is an exercise when I do a stewardship uh, workshop at a, at a congregation. I'll, I'll say, I want you to think of your most prized possession. I want you to think of your most prized. What if I can prove to you that it doesn't belong to you? And then I take him to Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so, so then, on the, then the next step is you're not even yours. You're not even yours. So what happens is for a long time, we all, you know, and, and it, it's unfortunate and words mean things. And, and, and you know, I, I dare not get into the stewardship version of the cancel culture, but uh, sometimes what we do is we have lazily taught stewardship in, in talking about it. What gifts has God given you? Okay. And, and, and the problem with gift language is when, especially in the 21st century, when we speak of gifts, we're thinking what we, you know, so if I, if I know when your birthday is and I give you a gift, right, that's a transfer of ownership. Mm-hmm. If I give you a gift, you become the owner of that. I no longer get a say on what you do with it, okay? Really, in all honesty, the created order, the created order that God has set in place in his divine fatherly goodness and mercy, um, he has set that in order and he has entrusted it to us. Title, you, you can search Genesis backwards and forwards. You can search the whole scriptures backwards and forwards. And you will never find a transfer of title and ownership from, from the creator to the creation. He never, he never surrenders title. It all belongs to him. Okay? So when we, when we start to see this created order as a trust, which declare the handiworks of God, you know, to use more psalm language, um, when, when we are, when there's a trust involved, there is accountability. We are accountable to the one who made, who owns it, and the one who owns it is the one who made it. So, so all of this stuff that you know that we are have, you know that we that we are that we have dominion over, all of this stuff that he's put under our feet, you know, we we have been entrusted with this trust comes accountability. You know, if I babysit your children, okay, if I babysit your children. Um, you want me to bring them back to you, um, uh, you know, fed, clothed, safe, most likely asleep, and oh yeah, in one piece. You know, there's an accountability. You know, and and this is where stewardship comes in. We are accountable for the created order that God has given us because it's that it, that He's entrusted to us because it's in that trust then that we declare the handiwork of God, that he has become part of to redeem us. And so as we look at this text, I want to ask another pastoral question, is when we look at each psalm, there's titles assigned to them, and we have in our Lutheran Study Bible, and I've read through other commentaries. There is a reality that the psalms speak to us, speak our language of how to... um, to walk in this Christian life that we that our Lord has given to us, 
that we, we're his baptized children, and he leads us and guides us, and he gives us the right words to say when we can't say them ourselves. And Psalm 8 has struck me, as I mentioned, one that I remember specifically hiking up a mountain, and we're singing, singing these songs, a lot of it in jest, a little bit of it with, you know, maybe not with pure intentions. But I, I do believe that there are times that we can use psalms that, as pastors and as other Christians, we can encourage people, this psalm might relate for you. Psalm 8. If someone were to ask you, you know, what can I, when can I use Psalm 8 or when you might you suggest it when there's a soul care need for a beloved member or someone that you meet, what, what would you say is a good time to read Psalm 8 for a person? Um, I, I've used it, I, I, I've used it in, 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 in a number of settings. Um, when someone doesn't think they're very important, you know, um, uh, when I, when you, especially it tends to be very appropriate in a geriatric setting mm-hmm. when, um, when, when they aren't productive anymore, you know, the, the stamina is gone and, 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 and their health is failing, you know, and it becomes a wonderful time, you know, understand God is mindful of you, even in your weakness, he's mindful of you. So that's that, that's an application for it. Uh, you know, this is a wonderful psalm if you're if you're work if you're working in the area of Christian stewardship, and, and you want to see you know so you talk about okay who has the dominion, you know who, you know, uh, who has dominion over the works of his hands. Well, we we forced it up, but he's he's entrusted it back to us. Think about the magnitude of this. Will you imagine, Brady, you were you you were at a bank. You worked at a bank. And you got yourself in a little gambling trouble, and you borrowed some money without the intent of returning. Okay, you are arrested, you're tried, you're convicted, you go to prison. All right, what are the chances on the day that your sentence is over that you're going to walk out and you're going to get your job back at the bank? Not at all. Okay, and yet that's exactly what happens to us as stewards. God entrusts this creation to us. We screw it up. As soon as the sentence is over, he's hiring us back and he's entrusting it back to us. You know, it makes no sense, but that's the radical nature of God's grace. You know that you know, he, you know, so so you understand. There's, you know, this is how God re- relates to us. He restores us, and so 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 not only does he just give us this nebulous spiritual forgiveness of sins thing, but it's it, but he he entrusts us. With, with the very tasks that we've screwed up in the past. And, 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 the, and, and the grace keeps flowing. The spigot never turns off. And that's just a, a fascinatingly amazing thing. So when you're dealing with somebody who, when you're dealing with somebody pastorally who, you know, maybe they've done something really wrong. You know, I've used this in, I've used this in the confessional setting, you know, where we talk about, you know, this is this is what God is doing. He's restoring me this. You know, so uh, so so these are those are just those are just tips of the iceberg. These these songs, these psalms, are incredibly uh, they're versatile. There, there's not okay. Um, you know, I, every once in a while you see the chart. If you're doing, if you're conf- if you're depressed, read this psalm. If yeah. you're, you know, if you're mourning, read this psalm. If you're rejoicing, read this. No, that. that Every one of them, and with the exception maybe the preparatory comments, because I just don't always know what to do with them. Uh, but but 
the vast majority of consultants, every one of them will speak to you. Because, understand, it's God speaking to you. It's not you discovering the meaning. It's God opening that meaning to you. And so as you look at the last verse, it's a repeat of the first verse, which I want to hear more of your thoughts on. What is Why does David do that? And, and also, what does it mean by majesty? So verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So David repeats himself. As we know, we all need to repeat ourselves often in order for us to remember stuff. Why is David mm-hmm. saying those same words over to us today? Well, understand. Um, well, some of it comes from the nature of praise. I mean, some, some of it comes, you know, you know, you don't tell you. I, I, my guess is you haven't, you, you've, you've told your wife that you love her more than once. Right, just twice, My yeah, kids. just twice, yeah. Just well, well you got four kids, so well, no, anyway. Um, but but no, there needs to be that reinforcement, okay? Because there are times when we are unlovable. You know, yes, even wives get that way. Usually, it's the other way around. Usually, it's almost always the guy. Um, but but so there is there is the repetitive nature of it that's important, and 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 we need to be reminded who God is because we so often forget. You know, we so often forget. And, and, and so, so when you have this little refrain or antiphon, depending on which, you know, which, uh, what church or tradition you're going to be coming out of, um, when, you know, it's taking it and it, so it's resetting all of this. It, it's resetting all of this gospel stuff that we saw in the middle, this Jesus stuff in the middle. He's, he's setting it back. It, it's the bookends. All of this is possible because of the, the majesty of his name. You know, where is, where is God most majestic when he's hanging dead on a cross? The ultimate sign of weakness. The ultimate sign of weakness is also the greatest majesty in the history of the world. Because it's there, the, the all-powerful creator will lay down his life for his creation. And, and, and you know, so, uh, his, his, and, and notice, he's doing it for creation not just for us. So often we make our so often we make salvation way too small. We make we make it way too small. We think it's just about just about us, but no, God is in Christ redeeming creation. And it's important that we see that. Um, and and uh, and so as he repeats this, he's he he is setting this all back in its proper place. He's putting us in our place. Um, not in the sense of comeuppance, but he's putting us in our place in the sense of grace. We've been restored to this, through the majesty of his name, which is made known in the, in the weakness of the one who goes to the cross to take his life back up again. So, so this majesty, which is proclaimed in the created order, is most exemplified in the order of salvation. Pastor, we have a minute left. How would you summarize this psalm for us today? Sing it. Pray it. Get into it. Because get lost in it. In the sense of losing your own self-importance. It's confession. It's understanding who you are in relationship to God. And who God then makes you to be. When you, run, when you come to grips with the fact that, that, that God shouldn't be mindful of you and yet he, yet he promises to be, 
there is something incredibly significant in this. And this is something to, to, to revel in. This is something to, to, to let the hog rolling around in it in a hot day. Just get it all over you. Just, just, just get it all over you because it's that incredibly gracious. Um, you know, you could spend a day with this song and not really get to the bottom of it. Um, because, and, and it's not that, it, it's because the longer you meditate on it, the more you're going to find in yourself that you're going to need the majesty of God revealed to you in Jesus. And then you pray, like, and make me like these little sticks. Make me like these little sticks that I too can sing with you. Out of the Mouth of Babes, Pastor Nathan Metter of St. John Lutheran Church in Plymouth, Wisconsin, helping us pray God's strong word from Psalm 8. Pastor Metter, thank you again for being our guest. My pleasure. Saints of our Lord, keep praying, keep singing, keep meditating, because even out of the mouth of babes, we are able to see the glory of God in our Lord Jesus, who is incarnate and redeemed you from sin. We see the stars, the moon, the heavens. We realize we are nothing when we are out in creation. How majestic is his name in all the earth, and his majesty has been given to you in Christ. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.